This is the home of Hamilton Sports, and this is Taddy and Marsh on TSN 1150 Hamilton. Welcome back to Taddy and Marsh, TSN 1150 Hamilton, TSN 1150.ca, and the TSN Go app. Coming up at 515, Simone Lawrence from the Tiger Cats, but right now from the Cats, Craig Butler. Craig, welcome. How are you today? Hello, Craig. Is he there? Hello. I always love when this happens. It's people listening and going, hey, dude, can, he's not there. can hear his car. My favorite's on the DP show when people are on hold for an hour to call in. Yeah. And then he goes, all right, let's uh, bring in our caller. It's Craig. Uh, Craig, how are you today? And then it's just silence, but you can hear the car. And then all of a sudden you hear the guy like, hey, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they finally get a hold of him. So I think we got Craig here. We'll get him on air in a second. Yeah. But, Kristen uh, Schulten will be by from the Leafs at 530. And uh, uh, is he there? Hello, Craig. Hello. Hey, there you are. How are you? Hey, I'm all right, guys. How are you doing? Good. Better now. Good. All Mu- right. <laughs> much better now. Um, uh, tell us about the Vanier Cup and your role in it. My Vanier Cup and past experiences? Well, uh, I uh, I chalked up a big L in 2008. <laughs> um, so far, that's been my uh, my experiences with the Grey Cup. And, I mean, it was it was a loss, but it was still a great one. What were you doing today with the Vanier Cup, Craig? Oh, uh, well, we were down at the uh, the launch party down at the uh, the, L- the Lispin House, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah, so we were down there and just kind of uh, starting things off. Uh, Kyle Quinlan was there. Um, Whoa, celebrity sighting. Celebrity sighting, big time. <laughs> yeah, a guy who actually won one and got his name on a couple trophies. So, yeah, they had the, uh, the, the Hall of Fame guy set up some display cases, and it was just kind of... Uh, you know the uh, the early the early start for the Vanier Cup that's coming here in the end of November. Hey, it's okay that you bash yourself for losing a Vanier because I'm in the same club, Craig. Okay, so we can relate on this. But the actual right. experience of the Vanier Cup and being around that week leading up to it, it it's going to be really well suited, I think, to Hamilton just based on because I mean the culture of the Vanier Cup is celebration of sport, and you know from being a Thai cat, Hamilton does that pretty well. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean that was one of the things I kind of touched on today was just how well. Um, how, you know, a lot of cities in Canada where I'm come from, I, I come from London, and London's predominantly known as a hockey city. And whenever I think about uh, Hamilton, even growing up, I always said Hamilton is a football city. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something that I think Hamiltonians are going to embrace. Um, you know, all ages. Uh, it seems like they have a lot of activities this year, not you know, leading up to the game. So I think it's going to be you know, a lot of interactive things that are going to entice uh, you know old fans and new fans. And obviously, that appearance in that particular game leaves a lasting impression. Oh, definitely. I mean, it was one where um, when I was in 2008, we, we played at Iverwin, and it was, I remember the weather, I remember the score, I remember certain plays of the game. So as a player playing in it, yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely lasts on it. And I know I had tons of family there and tons of friends there. And that was something else. You know, there's going to be two teams playing in it that are potentially could be from um, out of Ontario. So... I think Hamilton uh, will, will still have a great turnout, even if it's teams that um, you know aren't in the Ontario uh, Conference. But that just, that just goes to show how much football uh, is, you know, is, is a is a big deal in Hamilton. Craig Butler's run to the 2008 Vanier through the Ottawa GGs 31-17, through the St. Mary's Huskies 28-12, and then you ran into the Laval Rouge or machine uh, at that point in the Vanier Cup. Your run up to that, I mean, we were talking earlier today about Jose Fernandez and how much the Miami Marlins seemed like they came together last night as a team, and they were just playing for each other. And I mentioned my 2011 Vanier Cup winning team with Kyle Quinlan at McMaster as a team that came together in a way that I could have never predicted, Craig, was your 2008 team 
similar to that where you go on that run and you're traveling together and you make it to the national championship and you look back and you're like, and I could talk to every one of those guys in the room 20 years from now and feel like we never left. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's it's a special fun that you always share when you go through, um, you know, a, a, especially a football season. I think that's what makes football so unique is that, you know, it's only um, when our, in you know, CIS league, it's only about a nine, ten game schedule, but you, um, you're with guys that, you know, you go to school with, you hang out with, you're there with every single day at practice, every single day at meetings. And um, you're also competing with guys who, you know, may never see the field in a collegiate level, but they're still out there practicing with you, helping you get better. And that was something that lasted on me was not necessarily, definitely the guys that I played with, um, you know, gave great memories, but the guys that didn't get to see the game field too much, but they were out there every single day in practice. I think that's what makes the, uh, you know, the collegiate level of sport so special. That's always a great sort of uh, scenario to be involved in because everybody makes everybody else better. I mean, it's a group effort, and it's just fantastic to participate in that, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. The Vanier Cup. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's definitely something that you know you don't ever get the chance to do. Uh, you know, it, it only may come once, it may come never for some guys. So just to be able to be a part of it one time, and then I was able to be a part of it. As um, more of a fan in my in 2010, I was uh, uh, you know selected all Canadian, so I got to experience kind of the, the festivity side, with not having to worry about practice of the game, which is also fun too. So I kind of got to see you know different dynamics of the uh, the Vanier Cup week, and it's definitely you know both both experiences were different, but there was something I'll never forget. Craig, tell us about your injury and your rehab. How's it going? Well, it's good. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a lower body, it's a knee injury, but it's something that. I've gotten taken care of. Um, you know, the hard work is, you know, still lots of hard work in front of me, but all the uh, the difficult things and the difficult decisions have already been made, and um, I'm just focused on getting healthy, and that's what I'm doing every day. In that Montreal game a couple of Friday nights ago, I saw you wandering around the sideline while I was way up on the seventh floor calling the game, and you looked like you were itching. Are you just somebody who's terrible to deal with for doctors during your rehab, like you're just forcing yourself through windows that you shouldn't? No, I wouldn't say. I mean, I definitely have the itch. Um, you know, every single day I'm there. Uh, I have the itch to, you know, to get better, to help the team get better in any way I can. So, you know, football, um, football, you know, gives me something that uh, nothing else can get me in this life so far. So, uh, yeah, I definitely have the itch, but I'm definitely being patient because I know that, you know, I don't, I don't have a timeline to come back this season. So, my goal is for 2017 to be ready for day one in training camp, and that's my goal. And you know, I'm I'm being realistic with that goal, and I'm just I'm taking everything slow. I'm listening to my doctors, I'm listening to physiotherapist, trainer. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, you have those days where you feel amazing and you want to push it, but you know that'll set you back for a couple of days after that. So I'm just trying to be patient and listen to my body and listen to the uh, the people around me. What kind of a process do you go through when you watch a game? I mean, obviously there's nothing you can do about it, but but you must sort of be adjusting, you know, how you sort of perceive the game or, or how you may play when you get back. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. I, I, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I knew the season was uh, wasn't going to happen for me, I took a different approach. I took a, uh, you know, um, a different a different learning style, and you know, watching film differently, watching practice differently, watching certain guys. You know, I try, I'm trying to focus more on watching the offenses, you know, sitting in the offensive meeting rooms, trying to understand what they want to do to defenses. So it's definitely allowed me to do certain things that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to do if I was playing. Um, yeah, and I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just like every off season, every season, you're just trying to constantly get better in all facets of your game. So 
I'm just trying to improve on um, the, a lot of mental sides right now because obviously there's, you know, I'm, I have some physical disabilities or I can't do certain things right now. But I'm trying to sharpen my mental game and um, really just, you know, if, trying to be an influence on guys if they need any help or anything like that and just just trying to help the team win really any way I can. My last one for you here, uh, Craig, this afternoon is I want to ask you about your welcome to the CIS moment because we're talking about the Vanya Cup. But first, I have to let you know that you were mine because in <laughs> in 2010, uh, in week two, McMaster played at Western. I got thrown in in garbage time. We lost that game at Mac 52 to nine, I think was the final score, maybe 52, 17, something like that. Um, and in that game, like second or third play for me, I went a naked bootleg out towards the field and got rid of the ball because something in front of me was a purple flash that I was afraid was going to break every bone in my body. So I got rid of the ball as quickly as I could, and then I watched back the tape, and I went, oh, that was a real person. Like, I didn't even know that it was you, but you flew so fast in on me. I was like, wow, this is really fast. Because at the time, I'm like 17 years old, and I, you were a senior free safety at Western. It was a very good team that year, and it kind of shocked me. So what was your welcome to the CIS moment where you just went, oh, this is different? Yeah, well, I think we've had this chat before, and I, I, I think it's the same story I'm going to tell now. It was my rookie year, first game of the year, um, so it would have been 2007. We're playing against Queens uh, at home. We had a you know new um, new coach come in, Greg Marshall. We had a brand-new field. We had all these new things to be excited about, and we came out, and uh, we laid an absolute egg against Queens. Well, the game went into overtime, but we had a, a star free safety, Matt Carapella, and he was playing both ways that game he got hurt playing receivers so I had to come in play free safety against Queens who had Danny Brannigan Mike Giffen all they were a powerhouse back then and uh over time they threw um, a dig post I obviously jumped the dig being a young inexperienced free safety post threw a post over top for uh you know one of the game winning touchdowns they had Rob Bag on their team too I think yeah who ended up having five touchdowns in that game Oof. or something and um, uh, one of the guys, I won't name any names, I wouldn't throw anybody under the bus, but came over and just kind of grabbed me by the shoulder and was like, you're, you're in it now, buddy. You're the real deal. You know, it's time to, uh, you know, you're not a rookie anymore once you get thrown in there and you're in the live game action. So things got pretty real pretty quick for me. <laughs> but uh, sometimes, you know, baptism by fire is the best way to learn. That's okay. Daly's given up a bunch of those in his day in the OUA too. So it's all good. I don't good. know, man. I don't know. <laughs> Craig, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. Always, guys. Craig Butler from the Ticats injury list, working his way back for next year and that talking sucks. about the Vanier Cup. Yeah, but uh, he's such a good player, such a good guy. It, it, the first thing I actually was watching the game between Montreal and Hamilton from last year when it was Angelo Mosca night, right? And the halftime ceremony, and right before that ceremony happens at halftime, because it was playing on ESPN Classic Canada. Uh, Craig, they ran kind of like a jet sweep handoff. Did Montreal? Forget who the receiver was. Doesn't matter. Craig came flying downhill and just put his shoulder into the guy's ribs, stomach, like just a great, great tackle, but just popped him back five, six yards. And I remember sending out a video of it and just saying, damn, I'm really going to miss watching Craig Butler play this year. Because you forget those guys that are out before the season even starts. Right. You just go, oh yeah, he's really good, but I forget how good he is until you see him play. And so I saw that video clip and I was like, man, and it's not as though he would have overhauled this defense and hey, all the problems are fixed. Or hey, he would have been healthy the entire year because we've clearly seen with Courtney Steven anything can happen. But he's, he's just a fun player to watch. What do you think the Rico Murray injury is? Uh, no, I think that's lower body. They said he's probably not going to be available for this week. So I'm thinking that's probably one of those, you know, ankle sprains, knee sprains, something like that, where you just got twisted and you're going to need a couple of weeks to get straightened out correctly. Um, that, that was a bit of 
tricky work from the Ticats on the depth chart yeah. they have by putting uh, Rico Murray on it, scratching him without listing a replacement behind him, and then moving Dominique Ellis from boundary halfback over to that starting Sam linebacker position. That was crafty of them, and, and rightfully so, but I mean, teams do that all the time. It was just interesting that they decided to do it in that spot. Well, and on the road, too, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's even more difficult because you've got less of a roster. It's funny. I was talking to Drew Edwards when we were in Regina, and he said, if you really wanted to know who was uh, you know, dressing for a team or who was lining up for a team and you were from another franchise, so say you're, uh, you know, you're, the, you're the Rough Riders, you would just go to the airport and make sure you knew everybody's face and just check off when you see somebody yeah. on every... And you go... He's here. No, he's not here. <laughs> you go, why? Oh, number zero isn't here. Something's up. Yeah. Something's happening here. But uh, yeah, it's obviously that doesn't happen. Uh, our poll question for you today. What outcome would you most like to see from Saturday's series of events in Regina? That being the Mike Filer procedure penalty and Kent Austin's subsequent 15-yard penalty for making contact with an official. 43 votes in right now. Uh, 44% of you say the CFL needs to explain the Mike Filer procedure call more than anything else. And again, I understand there's a lot of Ticats fans here who are saying, hey, we want our coach, or hey, we don't really... But the the fact that people are that frustrated with the call, because the other option that we gave you here was Austin needs a public apology or nothing, we're done, like there's no action needs to be taken. And people are choosing Filer over everything because they're just going, why did that happen? Why would you call that? Well, because you're going to see it at least... Ninety uh, percent of the plays in the rest of the game, and didn't you watch other games in the weekend looking for that? Yeah, and that's uh, actually after the break here. I'll let you know what I caught up with Mike Filer about this afternoon sure. because we talked a lot about what the league is going to do moving forward with centers and moving the football around. Time now for a traffic update. Here's Rob Westgate. Just as we rolled past the top of the hour, we got an update from MTO Cruise. They have indeed cleared that collision investigation on the Toronto-bound QEW past here, Ontario, for a while. Two left lanes were blocked. But things are improving. A new collision on the go closer to home on City Streets. Upper Gage just south of the Lynx. It's up there. And Nikola Tesla Boulevard eastbound closed between Ottawa and Woodward for bridge work maintenance. That project goes until Friday evening. Clear your nasal congestion before the traffic clears. Otrovin medicated nasal spray temporarily relieves sinus congestion from colds and allergies and starts to work within minutes to feel better fast. I'm Rob Westgate. You're on the Traffic Watch. Continues. Time now for a Sports Center update. Here is Louis B. Good. The Maple Leafs being on Jacob Truba, the young Winnipeg Jets defenseman, requested a trade through his agent this week, and rumors are swirling the Leafs could be get, putting together a package to acquire the 22-year-old. TSN Hockey Insider Bob McKenzie says the Leafs are interested, but so are a dozen or more other teams. There's no question. 22-year-old defenseman like Truba, potential for top-pairing minutes. Would the Leafs like somebody like that? The other factor is, what's the cost going to be in terms of a contract? They got Riley at an affordable number, $5 million a year. I suspect Truba's going to be looking for a lot more than that. Truba had 21 points last season with the Jets and is coming off his entry-level deal as a restricted free agent. Speaking of the Maple Leafs, head coach Mike Babcock will be behind the bench for Team Canada when they open up their best-of-three World Cup final against Team Europe. Canada enters the contest, heavy favorites over the Europeans, a club comprised of players from eight different countries. Canadians come into the contest, winners of 23 straight games with Sidney Crosby as captain. The Jays can do themselves a huge favor with a win against Baltimore tonight. Toronto enters tonight's series opener one game up on the Orioles for the first wildcard spot. They won't have reliever Joachim Benoit available. He's been diagnosed with a torn left calf, suffered during the benches-clearing brawl last night. Devin Travis also not in the lineup. He's day-to-day with a shoulder injury. Elsewhere tonight, the Red Sox could clinch the AL East with a win over the Yankees or a Blue Jays loss. And Lions receiver Emmanuel Arsenault 
Red Blacks, Jamil Smith, and Stamps QB, Bo Levi Mitchell, were named the CFL's top performers for Week 15. Arshnow had two touchdowns in the Lions' loss to Edmonton. Smith returned a field goal 109 yards for a touchdown in a win over the Argos, and Bo Levi Mitchell threw for more than 360 yards and a pair of touchdowns to the 36-34 win over Winnipeg. You're listening to the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. This is TSN 1150 Hamilton. Jim Taddy and Marshall Ferguson. This is Taddy and Marsh on the home for Hamilton Sports. TSN 1150 Hamilton. Taddy and Marsh, TSN 1150 Hamilton, TSN 1150.ca, the TSN Go app. Visit TSN 1150.ca, enter the kick-to-win contest with Zarkies whenever the Tiger Cats score a field goal. TSN 1150 will award one lucky winner, Deluxe Lab Pizza, courtesy Zarkies Fine Food. Be listening for the chance to hear your name called out on Saturday when the Tiger Cats host the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, just on the the baseball front, uh, mm-hmm. Kelsey Braid reporting that Benoit suffered a torn calf. No recovery time uh, timetable available. Devin Travis day-to-day. The shoulder injury, that would be really unfortunate to lose those two guys. I love how people in baseball are always saying, well, you know what, these brawls, these little uh, Donnybrooks that you get where people come out and they shove and they you know, they act like tough guys and nothing really. It, they don't cost you anything. It's just team building. Really? Torn left calf. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, is and, he Stroman? No, but. Yeah, and, and Travis was uh, on a swing on a pitch, which is even more troublesome because he's obviously got a loose shoulder. And, and uh, I don't know where that goes, but it doesn't have longevity written all over it. That's for sure. If you've got... And I mean, that means that you would have to limit batting practice for the remainder of the year, which throws off your timing, which like his production is going to go way down, you would have to think. That's like the third time with that. So that's like uh, day to day for the rest of his career. Shoulder or knee? Worst injury to have. We just talked to Craig Butler. Um, I I think, you know, they're they're probably sort of on different levels. The knee can be repaired, but can't be injured a whole bunch. Although we we do know of guys that have had three knee repairs. The shoulder for me, from what I know about it is, uh, again, depending on the severity of the injury, but I I don't think it's ever the same again. I'll put up a poll question at Taddy Marsh. Yeah. What's the worst injury? Shoulder or knee? Uh, I know we're going to get into uh, some stuff here with you that, that you wanted to go into, but I just want to throw this out. Um, watching the Leaf game, doing the Leaf game last night, I like the New Jerseys. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always a, a topic of conversation. They reminded me a bit of the Tampa Bay jersey, which would have been a ripoff of the Leafs jersey anyway. Um, but I like them, and I'm just seeing now that the Red Wings this year will go with a number nine on the front nice. over the end of the wing. Now, I've always thought since Gordy passed that what the wing should do is take the number nine out of circulation on any number. So any number in the 90s should sure. be stopped and like 29, 39, 49 just ripped out of circulation because he is was the franchise. No question about that. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. That makes so much sense to me. Something also interesting when you're talking about numbers and circulation, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show this morning on my way to the dog park. And uh, How was the dog park today? I mean, the weather was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was very nice, and there was a couple of nice border collies that were there, very smart dogs. I thought you were going to say something else. No, fun to, <laughs> fun, to, fun to play with, the border collies. They're good dogs. Uh, so, yes, guy. Yeah, I was going there for sure. Um, but yeah, so I was listening to the Dan Patrick show, and they mentioned that there were a couple of players on the Marlins last night who every single one of them, if you didn't see the game, wore the number 16 and wore Jose Fernandez's name across their back on the nameplate. Um, that, I mean, that's an amazing tribute, and that makes everyone remember every second of that whole game that evening, what the team is feeling. So I love that. 
But there was a quote on the Dan Patrick show this morning that one of the Marlins players who didn't want to be identified because he thought it might be taken as criticism of them doing that said, every time that I looked up and I saw somebody wearing 16 with Fernandez on it, I thought it was him. And, yeah. and that just twisted the knife in my heart again and again and again because you look up and you see the jersey. And maybe that's part of the healing process for them too. But when you talk about taking it out of circulation, nobody will ever wear 16 again for the Marlins. They've already determined that. Yeah, that's. Uh, but, but that is true. I mean, and that's part of the grieving process also. You have to tell yourself that that person just isn't there anymore. Yeah. It, it was just, I can't imagine, you know, having a relative who passes away and something that identifies with them every single person you see that game or that day or that week is sitting wearing that thing you identify with that would just that would toy with me way way too much but i guess everyone's different that's what we've been talking about with that uh, situation all right i'll yeah. drop a little bit of uh, mike filer sure. uh, stuff on you here uh if you'd like to get involved in our poll question which has to deal with mike filer and kent austin just go to at tsn 1150 on twitter or you can text Eleven fifty fifty. anytime just drop in uh, your name on the text as well so we know who it came from we can give you credit uh mike filer i caught up with him after practice a little bit today and i just said what what was your perspective of that play did you do anything irregular that you didn't think uh sh- you know that you that you thought was normal or, or that you thought was irregular did you realize that you did anything wrong and he said did the same thing i do every single play i turn any you know what's funny he grabbed a ball and he actually showed me he says, I didn't even move it forward. All I did was turn the tip, which makes it look like you're moving it forward because when you take a long object and you make it vertical, right. it's going to look like you're planting it ahead of where it was. The actual tip of the football was no further forward than where it began. I, I thought, actually, that's why I asked you yesterday about the weather conditions. I thought he was just trying to get a grip on the ball because it was wet. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, I said to him, just to get his opinion on it, I said, do you actually think that you're gaining an advantage by moving the ball forward three, four, five inches? And he said, no. And I said, okay, well, here's my thing. If you are lining up your body and then putting your hand down and barely moving the ball, turning the tip up so you can get a good grip on it, that's not changing the position of the ball. You're not gaining an advantage in a short-yarded situation. I said, if you are short-setting yourself, so that just basically means where you're putting your feet very close to the ball and then you're squatting down like a center does in the offensive line and you're picking up the ball and then you're shifting it, that would mean that you're shifting it in front of where your stance is, which would give you a clear advantage. And I said, you didn't do that, did you? He goes, no, I, I line up my body over the ball in the same place every time. Then I just reach down and get a hold of the ball. And on that setup, it actually looked like he had to reach a little further to get to the ball. Because he has long arms. Yeah. Like he's not one of those short arm centers. You know, they talk in the NFL draft process, Mike Mayock from NFL Network, about guys who are phone booth brawlers who are typically offensive guards on offensive lines who have little short punchy arms. And then there's, you know, Taylor Lewan and those big tackles we always talk about, like Jake Long, who just have these massively long arms. He is a guy for a center who's pretty lanky considering his height, weight, and everything else. So, yeah, he he reaches, but he does not reach forward with the ball. And so we still we just don't have a complete explanation of uh, exactly what the ruling was. Or And this is the thing, too, and this is what I really wanted to mention on air. I asked Mike, like, well, you know, do you think people are going to look at it more often? And he goes, yeah, that's the problem now, is that every single game people are going to start scrutinizing centers and start looking at us in a different perspective based on that penalty. And the first time that somebody moves the ball around like he's, you know, a lot of people think Dan Clark did from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on that first drive afterwards, he said as soon as somebody moves the ball and they don't get called for it, 
the league's going to get buried. And I said to him, yeah, it's the same thing as defensive pass interference because if you don't have consistency in the way that you judge a penalty, then it doesn't matter. Like, you can outline a rule with any terminology you want, but if you don't execute that terminology consistently, then it doesn't matter because you're going to get absolutely dumped on. And I'm afraid for the league, quite honestly, because... That call was upheld, and it stood, and it was in a crunch time moment, and it really killed that moment for the Ticats. If somebody in the first quarter moves a ball that way, or more than that, like I'm waiting for some center to pick up the ball and move it a full half yard forwards and not get called for it, and people are just going to go crazy, specifically here in Hamilton. Absolutely. And, you know, the only thing, well, it all bothered me, but the, the, the most damning thing for me was watching on television where you could hear one of the writers' players cry out twice he's moving the ball forward yeah and then the flag flies that's really that is unacceptable for me i asked mike if he heard people around him because i said yeah the you know my whole experience up in the booth with the crowd microphones that we have and down on the field is that i i saw one guy kind of slowly go hey i think he moved the ball and then all of a sudden all of the players in the Saskatchewan defense were jumping up and down, waving their arms, waving at an official, pointing at the ball, because you know how it is when there's a procedure or an offside call, right? Every, yeah. All of a sudden, it's theatrics. It's, no, 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 that's you, no, and everybody's pointing at each other back and forth. That's what started happening in that play, and that's when the discussion started, and that's where Kent Austin got upset about, because players from the other team cannot coerce you or determine for you what the penalty is or how seriously you take that. If you didn't see it, if you didn't throw the flag immediately, and if you didn't believe that it was a meaningful movement of the football, you can't call it because that is something that you could call almost every single play moving forward. And Mike said as much. He's like, the consistency of this rule call now will be scrutinized for the remainder of the year. It certainly will. By the way, we'll have more conversation on this at 5.15 when Simone Lawrence stops by. But right You're listening to Taddy and Marsh on TSN 1150 or streaming online at tsn1150.ca. Taddy and Marsh, TSN 1150 Hamilton, TSN 1150.ca, and the TSN Go app. And so, as I was doing the Leaf game last night, I didn't really connect because today when I got in and got on Twitter, I see Gordy Howe mm-hmm. and Wayne Gretzky, and mm-hmm. Howe will be honored, as I said earlier, with the number nine and all Red Wing jerseys in the front. And uh, Gretz is the ambassador for the 100th anniversary of the National Hockey League. How much coin do you think he's getting for that? No idea. To be the face of something like that. They, they like should that. give him a lot because they cost him a lot along the way. Yeah, well, I think that that's probably... Uh what they're using the relocation fee money for. If you guys want to apply for a franchise, hey, Quebec City, 500000 Yeah, come on, just throw in the pot. Maybe you'll get a team. Who knows? It's great that uh, you know there there's um, a relationship again because you, I don't know what the, 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 the right way to describe it would be, but there was a void there for a number of years. Would you go as far as saying there was a falling out? Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, I, I, obviously there was a, a money issue with, with the Coyotes, and, and I don't know all the particulars, so I don't want to paint it into something that's not, but void is the safest way to describe it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so he is back. He is part of the 100th anniversary. I, I was just going to line out all the things that the NHL is doing for the 100th season here in, in 2017. Then the NHL went out of their way to create a multimedia production for us. Uh, which outlines all of the things that they're doing. And I, I always laugh when I see videos like this because it'd be easy as a league to be like, even the CFL. Like, I love the CFL. I love the game. I think it's well played. It's fun. I love having those controversial moments and great plays and all of that. But sometimes CFL puts out videos where you're like, it didn't need to be that complicated. <laughs> like, you could have just put out a press release and been like, here's what we're doing. But yeah. 21st century, millennials, Twitter, all the rest. So here is uh, a little bit of the what the NHL is doing with Crazy Voiceover Guy and a very, very NHL-feeling production. 
Starting January 1st, the NHL will begin to celebrate those 100 years in many unforgettable ways. We'll drop the puck in Toronto at BMO Field with a salute to some of the greatest players in the league with a battle between two original six teams, the Maple Leafs and the Red Wings. The next day, we'll be in St. Louis for the Winter Classic, a signature game of the league. Then it's on to Los Angeles at All-Star Weekend when we'll celebrate the 100 greatest players of all time at a Centennial Gala and feature those players in all of the many weekend activities. More events spice up the Centennial Year, like the Stadium Series game in Pittsburgh, where we'll showcase 50 years of a classic interstate rivalry between the Flyers and Penguins. The NHL Awards will highlight the greatest players, as will the NHL Draft in Chicago in June. That's a dream come true. All right, that's enough. Big voice guy. <laughs> I'm glad I never. Well, I, I did. There was a big voice guy at Global. I had. I've told the story before. Ken Ryan was his name. And if he phoned you up, you had to hold the phone away from your ear. It oh, would just it would like perforate your eardrum. The yeller. But those guys, I mean, because they're just so slick. Hi, good afternoon. How are you today? You know, I, I, I mean, I could do that for one line, and then I just laugh. Ever had a conversation with a voiceover guy? No, not really. Yeah, I, you know why? Because they work from home. That's right. Yeah, they've got this, little, the... they've got this little closet <laughs> in the basement. That's when, right. you, when you have that voice, you don't have to leave home. I've actually done something for somebody in New York while I was in Toronto. Yeah. And it was just, I don't even know what I was talking to, but I was talking into a mic. Could you do this? Yeah, okay. Okay, good. See ya. What was it for? It was uh, some sort of a, it was a commercial, television commercial. And then when I listened to it, it's like, Hey, that's me, but it, but it like it's like way in the background, sort of like an ambient sound of a guy describing a hockey game. And I went, I got paid for that, whether it was full volume or not. I got, I just got a phone call from California. Oh, really? And they left a voicemail. Hello, this is the Canadian Revenue Agency. <laughs> uh, although we're no, in, no, no, I, although we're in California, you owe us money. I, I don't make tatty money. I don't have. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. I don't have that kind of money where I'm going to get calls. Although I have been audited every year of my life. Okay, I, which I haven't. I really? haven't actually, no, that's a line from Trump last night. Oh, um, <laughs> I haven't. Oh, let's get into the debate. I haven't oh, asked my. you what was your favorite tr- favorite debate moment. I don't know if I should say favorite Trump moment or. Well, I got into it when it was uh, you know from all the reports he started out okay and then uh, what was the score when you turned on the TV? He was he was getting buried. It was it was just that Hillary Clinton was making so much sense and, and it's like he's trying to discredit it with his with his nod or or look on his face and it's like, dude, you are just a complete mess at this point. He couldn't get through a conversation or a topic without saying that he owned property there. Well, but he, he never really <laughs> answers the question. He just, oh, he just veers off. So that's and you were probably not home for this, but I for some reason got reeled into watching the whole thing, and I oh don't, boy, I that would have been tedious. I don't know how, but it, it happened. Um, Lester Holt, who did a fantastic job, which Louis, our guy, right? Lester Holt. Ever since the Republican convention, he was just fantastic. So uh, he is the host of NBC Nightly News, and he is the moderator. At the beginning of it, you know, they go into this very first topic and he comes back to the moderator after they have their back and forth for the first couple of minutes. And Trump was being very cordial He because the whole point of last night was for Trump to look presidential, right? For him to seem like he could be a commander in chief, for him to stand there and not to be braggadocious and loud and angry and, and insert himself in the conversation. Sort of in control. For the, exactly. For the first 10 ish minutes, he's doing that. And he was quiet, and he said, thank you for having me. And, and all of a sudden, 
you get 15 minutes in, 25 minutes in, 35. It started seeping out. And all of a sudden he... The Trumpster escapes. All, all, of, all of the coaching, all of the... Listen, Donald, if there's one thing we need to accomplish today... You have to look like you can be the president. It went away, and he just yeah. became this crazy man up on stage. It was like he was on his TV show, right? Yeah, you're that, fired. No, yeah, I'm and not. that was where it completely fell apart. And so that it was amazing stuff. And no, to tie it back into sports here, what amazed me last night, the quality of Thursday night football. I think we can admit, for the most part, like listen, I watch all the Thursday night NFL games just yeah. because it's the NFL, and I'll always watch it. Um, but. It's been bad. Like, there's there's typically bad matchups. This week's Miami-Cincinnati. I'm still going to watch, but, it, oh, not a good game. So, Miami-Cincinnati's not fun. Atlanta-New Orleans, a lot of people were discounting, saying, ah, this isn't going to be a fun game. If you like defense, it wasn't a good game, but that was the best primetime game of the year so far, other than Green Bay and Minnesota. Sunday night football, Thursday night football, Monday night football, one game by itself for the whole world to watch if they want. And nobody watched. It was the worst ratings in the history of Monday Night Football, the franchise, because that debate was happening, and the debate had monster numbers. Well, it was it was expected. I mean, that's yeah. not a surprise to anybody. So we're left with, uh, what, four teams that are 0-3? Yeah. Chicago, the Saints, Cleveland, and uh, who else is? Uh, Jacksonville. Of the four teams that are 0-3, who pulls out of it? Oh, I'm tempted to say Jacksonville because I'm not convinced by Indianapolis right now. But here's the thing with the Saints. I said to you before we came on air today, the Patriots are 3-0 with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, and the Saints are 0-3 with Drew Brees, right? There's always one team each year where you're like, they shouldn't have that record. And right now, to me, the Saints are the clearest example of that. Just because when we talk about, and we talked about elite quarterbacks last week on this show, if you want to dive deep on elite quarterbacks, usually you don't get past three quarterback names, maybe four at maximum five before you hit Drew Brees. Because you've got Rodgers, Brady, used to be Manning in that conversation, Breeze, otherwise. And I just, it's amazing that you can have a quarterback that's of that stature and not have somebody that you can just rely on and say, yeah, we're going to get at least one win in our first three. So I would pick the Saints, I think, to dig their way out. What about you? Um, I'm going to actually go with Jacksonville just because a lot of people predicted good things for Jacksonville earlier in this year, and I've been burned by them. I didn't, I didn't see them going 0-3, and, and, and I have talked to NFL insiders in the summer, and, and they were high so uh, on Jacksonville, so I don't know why oh, good. this wouldn't work out. <laughs> Almost didn't put on in Jacksonville on that. Yeah. yeah. Just guys sitting around getting high. Yeah, they were high, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, man, let's go to the Jags. Oh, hey. <laughs> they were, though. A lot of people's sexy pick, but that's the, the danger is – you're always going to have that trendy pick that is like, oh, they're young and they're fun and they could be good. And yeah, but they some, suck. Sometimes you push it by a year or two. I'm ecstatic with how Oakland has turned out so far. Cause yeah, you should be. They're kind of my fun young team that I'm getting behind and I think is incredibly fun to watch. And they're actually winning games. So, I mean, is beating Tennessee, is that tearing down the Giants of the NFL? Nope. Got to say, the NFC East looks like somebody hit a, a makeover switch. It, it suddenly is a not a bad division. It's fun. Yeah. That's the, the biggest thing I get with the NFC East right now. It's just fun. Like, I saw an article today that said, uh, click here, we rank all the best rookies so far through the first three weeks of the NFL season. And then in, in brackets, it said, all of them are in the NFC East. Like, that's what this division is becoming all of a sudden. It's just where you go to watch fun, young football. Hmm. Okay. Also, the CIS Top 10 is out. McMaster, I just got the email, is in eighth. So McMaster football coming off their bye week going into homecoming this Saturday, 1 p.m. at McMaster. Ron Joy Stadium is eighth in the country. 
We've got like all kinds of sports here on 11.50 on Saturday, right? We've got that game. It's crazy. Cats and Bulldogs. Yep. It's going to be uh, McMaster against Guelph coming at 1 p.m. with the pregame show at 12.30. And then we're going to dance around at the end of the McMaster game, get into the Tiger Cats when they have their 4 p.m. kickoff against the Stamps. And then when we're done, Stu Kernan will have the Bulldogs playing against the Ice Dogs in St. Catharines. So full day. It's going to be from about 12.30 until about uh, probably 11 by the time the postgamer's done uh, for the Bulldogs. I'm actually excited because Thursday I'll be doing the show from the Meridian Center, getting set for the yes, you will. Leafs-Sabres game. Never been to the Meridian Center, so Louis going to have to supply me with directions. Oh, nice. Just, you'll see it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know my directions, guy? Take gonna... the 406, you'll see it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty hard to miss. Well, I was going to say, it's probably, it's probably uh, 10 yeah. minutes away because... <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's probably, oh, it's pro- probably 10 minutes away <laughs> because Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo is 20 minutes away. Oh, yeah, God. What, a, what, a, what a nice trip, though, eh, for the yeah. Sabres? Yeah. You're, yes. my, you're on probation for your mic right now. Whoa. Oh, really? You're on thin ice. Wow. Buddy. You're on well, thin ice. Second time he's <laughs> piped in today and he says you're on probation. What's going on? Uh, Louis. Wow, Louis in the watchtower. That's it. Wow. This is TSN 1150 Hamilton, and you're listening to Taddy and Marsh on the home for Hamilton Sports. Taddy and Marsh, TSN 1150 Hamilton, TSN 1150.ca, and the TSN Go app Twitter account at Taddy and Marsh. Coming up at 5 o'clock, the Power Hour. Tom Manick from the Sport Market at 5 at 5.15. Simone Lawrence at 5.30. Kristen Schulten, our Maple Leaf reporter. And at 6, Josh Lewenberg will be by to talk about the Raptors. You know, and I was right, but for the wrong reason. I said the Jays' final weekend in Boston wouldn't mean much, but I because I, I thought the Jays would have everything wrapped up that way, yeah. and now it's probably not going to mean much because uh, you know I, I'm sure they might be scrapping with Baltimore over over home field for that play-in game, but that's about it. I'm terrified of that play-in game. So am I. I just don't like it. Just a scary like it's it's going to be the entire region, and I know theater of the mind here with radio, but just sitting back in their chair with their face disgruntled, just going you know peeping through their eye or their hands because they just don't want to watch. I, I feel bad for Louie because it'll only be one day with the hoodie. But he got a hat. The, yeah, but that's... Uh, you know. but the hat's eternal. Yeah. Well, that's why you get him. You can, you can wear the hat after a loss, but the October hoodie is... Again, like last year, he only had it for two weeks, and this year it's going to be for maybe a game. So where does... Um where does Yes Guy No Guy get bumped to? Oh, that's going to be, I guess, 545. All right. I guess. All right. Or somewhere in the 6 o'clock hour. Um... Yeah, we'll figure it out later, but I just wanted to... And at 6 o'clock, we're doing our Word of the Day, right? Yes, we are. Got a couple, of, a couple of people talking to us on Twitter about that right now. For the Woodies, I said they were Woods incorrectly earlier, uh, Woodies custom shoes uh, that are Chuck Taylor, size 11, Tiger Cats logo on them, uh, getting you set for kickoff 4 p.m. on Saturday with the 2.30 p.m. pregame show with Jamie Thomas for the Tie Cats and the Stampeders. We figured we'd have a Tie Cats giveaway this week, so uh, go to our Twitter, at Taddy and Marsh, if you'd like to see a picture of them. And basically what you have to do is listen at 6 p.m. each of the next three days and then call in Friday at 6 p.m. and tell us the three Tie Cats words of the day uh, that we told you throughout the week. And if you know all three when you call in, get yourself a nice new pair of shoes. Nice kicks. Yeah, they are nice. I, I'm not a big Chucks guy. I've never understood why Shinetti feels the need to obsessively... I know everybody needs well, those are thing. old school. They are, yeah. And, and I know that people used to just rock them for sports and different things. But to me, it's like I'd rather be... Wearing a nice pair of something else than than Chucks personally. That's me. I know a lot of other people out there love them. So when I was a kid, I had shoes like this. Power to you. And um, then we went with the uh, what do we call that when we cut off the uh, low cut? 
Yeah, the low cut. Yeah. But so they would start new uh, when summer rolled around, and by the end of the year, this little flap around the toes would wear off, and time for a new pair. <laughs> or my dad would get out the uh, rubber cement and glue them back together. <laughs> nice. he, he was a classic for that. No, no, we're, we're fixing this. My dad bronzed my old basketball shoes from when I first started playing sports. Really? Had them bronzed like I was some MVP. Or I was like, Dad, I... thanks. It's <laughs> one of those thanks guy. <laughs> like I'm, I'm all for it. He loved watching me play when I was little, which I'm sure I'll be the same with my son someday. But I was like, I think I I was in grade five and I was like 20 pounds overweight and just got into basketball so I wouldn't die at a young age. I, you know, I have to say, <laughs> I, you know, when I think back to my childhood, you know, not a lot of money in the house, so yeah. we buy the new pants and uh, shoes, and I used to play. Uh, what we used to call foot hockey in the playground. Of course, I was a goaltender, so I'd slide and rip the heck out of those pants. <laughs> and the shoes were all ripped. And my dad would get out the uh, the rubber cement, glue the shoes back together. My mom with the patches on the knees. I mean, I had to look like a like a complete uh, idiot, but that was me. I didn't think twice about it. We'd, we'd burn through a new pair of pants, and they'd have to be repaired because we weren't buying another pair. Something I wonder about because I'm not around it anymore, is mini stick culture still alive and well during indoor recess in public schools? Hmm. Good like, question. Because I, I, like, I would love to know if people are teachers or like EAs or something in, in public schools because school is back underway now. Like, do, do kids still play with mini sticks? That's that's uh, so that's, I, that's before my time. So I lived with my friends in Thorold. Yeah. Uh, before I came to this job and before I moved out west, I uh, we all lived together. It was just a big kind of a party house. Uh, oh, guy. <laughs> Any stories? Um, <laughs> no, but uh, the basement, the basement, nobody really used it, but it was finished and and you know we had everything upstairs. But so in the basement, we we decided to put tape on the walls to make a net. Yeah. And they're like, okay, let's go get mini sticks now. And so we went to go get mini sticks, oh. and they make like composite mini sticks now. Oh boy! So really? just miniature, Lethal. miniature versions of real sticks. They're like thirty bucks. They're they're not the little plastic ones anymore. So we ended up getting these composite sticks, and we spent hours playing mini sticks in the basement. I, I know people who we used were to... 21, 22 <laughs> years old. People used to heat up their mini sticks at home and then curve them. So that they would have see the, the curves were already built in because yeah, you, on the you had to make sure yeah you had to make sure you got the right hand because if you got the wrong hand in one and so friends would come over and they'd have to play with the opposite hand because we only had so many lefties and so many what was the the Jim Taddy era childhood uh, like get by for killing time like that with sports equipment that's no longer around oh, guy what are you saying I'm saying. How do you mean that? Like, did you <laughs> used to push a wheel with a stick or something? Oh, guy! Like, no, I'm not saying we, had, uh, we played uh, road hockey. Yeah, road hockey. Jacks the, 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 the guy. Uh, Spoons? No, but Marbles? no, but we used to play punch the producer. Hold still. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, road, road hockey, and and uh, of course, you know, you would only have the budget for one stick. So by the end of the year, with a toothpick, I mean, you couldn't. The ball would just go way over the net. Uh, one of the things that we used to do also in pre. Uh, mini stick hockey was we would use our coat if you were in goal for like a like sort of a glove and in goal pads and of course rip the heck out oh, of the yeah. coat when you slid on the pavement which always went over big at home too. Go you come home with the ripped pants, the shoes obliterated, and the coat ripped and went. Okay, what are you going to do for the rest of the winter? Because you we're not buying new here. Sounds like a disaster of a childhood. Just walk in the door with everything shredded. Yeah, what, but, oh my God, what yeah, happened? Yeah, oh, Playing yeah, sports. I got a shutout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my dad was an only child growing up in Napanee, and he used to tell me stories about like there were him and three other guys who lived down the street, and it was 
Sun would come up on Saturday. They'd play hockey in, out in the street until Hockey Night Canada would come on. They'd yep. watch it and they'd go to bed. That was it. Yeah. Spartan lifestyle. Oh, I love it. But it was fun. Simpler, but I mean, there's stuff is way too complicated. Why are uh, why are the Royals at UBC for a volleyball match? No yeah. idea. Yeah, they are. Uh, anyway, UBC, what, what, UBC O. Is that a thing? Yeah. It's the Okanagan College. Are they not the Thunderbirds? Uh, yeah, but this is, uh, um, I don't know. Actually, it's UBC Okanagan. Right. So it's a different school. It's like Laurier Brantford. You want to watch TV? I mean, we've got a radio show to do. <laughs> um, but anyway, you, you've seen the commercial in the World Cup of Hockey where they yeah. have the actual play and then a kid playing road hockey recreating it. I think it's a great spot. Yeah, that is. What is the fifth season, though? They keep mentioning that. No idea. We're all fans of the fifth season. I'm like, is like hockey season is supposed to be like winter, spring, summer, fall hockey? Is that what they're saying? I, no idea. I've been trying to figure out that. Once ad. again, if you have to explain it, it's not very funny. Yeah, I, and it's one of those things that you just take in passing because we're so bombarded with advertising anymore that you're just like, ah, hey, whatever, and you kind of tune it out a little bit. And yeah, then, I mean, I don't even know what what the company is that's sponsoring that. Yeah, but I like the idea of because anybody who played road hockey really did that in their mind, right? Yeah, that was me with basketball out in the driveway on a five foot five net trying to go through my legs like Vince Carter. I had a dent in my driveway. That's what I did in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. It was a foot higher than it was supposed to be, so I developed a pretty good long shot. You want to go outside during this commercial break and play some hockey? No, guy. I'm tired. Oh.